You're listening to the Over a Drink podcast, the podcast dedicated to normalizing normal men talking about normal things, putting purpose to pain, turning men into soldiers, and weaponizing testimonies. I'm Mitch Parsons, and I am your host. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Over a Drink, the podcast that is dedicated to normalizing normal men, talking about normal things. I'm Mitch Parsons, and I am your host. Uh, Today, we are... Okay, so I just need to... uh, I keep making this this balancing statement of coffee friends, don't judge me. Um, I'm drinking Starbucks. We're drinking Starbucks again (laughs) this morning, and here's the reason why. You guys are getting these episodes... uh, once a week, but I am recording with people multiple times a week. And I've been on this same bag for the last couple episodes. And honestly, my sister works at Starbucks and I get, she gives me free coffee and free coffee is better than not free coffee. So we're drinking Starbucks today. Um, I want to, I keep saying we, that, that implies it's more than me. And so uh, I have my friend Kevin here. What's up? Uh, today, Kevin is, a, he's becoming a good friend. I mean, he's a good friend, but we're, we, I just met him when Kevin... Uh, it's been about maybe like a month and a half. month and a half. Uh, Kevin, he, he got plugged in because uh, he got plugged into Red Rocks. Uh, you're seeing a common trend of my guests to start <laughs> is that we got a lot of Red Rockers, uh, but... His wife was hired. Uh, he's from Arizona. Yeah. Uh, she was hired as our. I know that she does. She's in sports ministry. What's her her t- title? Just sports ministry. Sports ministry. Associate? Associate. I don't know. Some, uh, I don't know. Sports. Uh, and <laughs> she got plugged in, and immediately Kevin started uh, serving. And he is musical. Uh, he, no, he's musical and he, he comes, uh, on Wednesday to youth and I love Kevin a, because the, he wasn't even, he hadn't even committed to volunteering yet. And he was there on his like, Hey, come check out youth and see if you like it. And he's out there stacking chairs and actually not even stacking chairs. He's straightening chairs, which is like the most monotonous, boring (laughs) job. Like I, 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 as a leader at youth try not to do it because I hate it. Uh, and he's out there without us asking, doing it. And that's just the kind of guy that he is. As I realized, and I've realized over the last month, uh, we are praying for Kevin in this last couple weeks. He's a <laughs> diehard Suns fan. So he's in a dark place. Uh, and we're praying for the light at the end of the tunnel. I've got my, Western Conference champion shirt on right now, which is which is great, but it it's kind of like the second place trophy because it it's not a NBA Finals yeah. t shirt. Yeah, it's all good. It was a great run. It's it been was a long a time run. since I watched some good Suns basketball. That back before like Amari Stoudemire and Sean Marion, Steve Nash. Yeah, those are my those teams are, growing up. Man. Oh yeah. Uh, so Kevin, um, I've introduced you a little bit, but uh, yeah. how? How would you, this is a, maybe this question needs to be dropped. I love it. But uh, how would you introduce someone, introduce yourself to someone someone. uh, who doesn't know you and you can't say, hi, I'm Kevin? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Arizona, born and raised, uh, along with my wife, Bailey. We both uh, 
you know, grew up our whole lives in Arizona. Um, moved out to Colorado about a year and a half ago, uh, winter before COVID, and just wanted to basically try something new. We were at a point in both of our careers where um, that was just kind of easy to do, made possible by me working remote, and Bailey had just finished grad school. Um, you know, big sports guy, lots of watching a lot of sports, mm-hmm. be it football, basketball, played volleyball all through school. Um, Kevin's tall. I'm a tall guy. Um, big into music, kind of like that's kind of my family line is of music and uh, been playing for my whole life and kind of just love, man, love movies, love hanging out, good time. But uh, more than anything, uh, grew up in the church and come from, I guess what you could call an interesting family. Everyone has some interesting dynamic to their family. But what makes you say that? Uh, so let's see. It's like the house I grew up in, it was just my brother and my mom and my dad. Um, they separated when I was in about seventh grade. So however old you are when you're in seventh grade, 12, I don't know. 12, 12 sounds good. <laughs> um, but, uh, my dad is not a believer and, uh, my mom was always the one that took my brother and I, uh, to church and, you know, I have, you know, great memories growing up in church, but I don't think I realized till I was a bit older, like how that dynamic worked at home, uh, with my dad, not being interested in going and my mom always taking me. Um, but then beyond that, uh, let's see, I have a very small family at my wedding. My direct family was 14 people. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Um, and that was like inviting everyone we could think of. (laughs) So, uh, and, and there's just some funny dynamics in there. Like my dad, 17 years older than my mom. Uh, my dad had me when he was 47 and my brother when he was 50. Uh, so my dad's pushing 80 right now. I'm only 28. So, wow. <laughs> that so, is something. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And then let's see, just kind of like a small family from there. Uh, you know, all of it, I guess is something we'll get into a little bit, but all of it is, uh, tied with divorce from, I couldn't tell you how far back you had to go until you wouldn't find that. Um, and you know, there's, uh, people with faith here and there. Uh, I think like the closest people in my life growing up were my mom and my grandpa, both of whom were like deeply integrated in the church and whatnot. Um, but yeah, gosh, this is just me introducing myself saying who I am. Uh, I am Kevin from Arizona and, uh, yeah, none, nonetheless, uh, out here now with my wife, Bailey, uh, no kids. Uh, I'm 28. She's 26. What's your favorite thing about her? My favorite thing about Bailey is certainly like her laugh and her smile. She is just like an infectious, happy personality. Uh, of the two of us, I am certainly the more cynical, uh, I, I call it realist, but you know, most, most would classify it as cynical perhaps, but, um, I'm a realist. So I'm all about that. Adjective. <laughs> I like the realist uh, word better. Yeah. But she is just, uh, so joyful and, mm. you know, more than anything for me, she has challenged me to like, understand what it is to like have the joy of the Lord and, you know, 
approach your every day with just some amount of happiness and a smile on your face mm -hmm. and what can come of it too. Right. It's like yeah. the doors that open because of the perspective that you have on life. And yeah, yeah. no, that's cool. It's, it's, it's probably because she has cool tattoos, I think is the joy of the Lord through her tattoos. Her tattoos are so like normalized to me, but then like <laughs> someone random will see my wife and they're like, she's a total badass. And I'm like, oh uh, yeah, I, I, she does have a full sleeve. So yeah. That's honestly right. how I met her was, it was, uh, I think it was Easter. Was it, would, would you guys have been out here for Easter? Mm -hmm. Was she, yeah, yeah, it yeah. was her, it was one of her first weekends yeah. and for some reason, well, sports doesn't have a campus, and so she was assigned to Lakewood, I think. Uh, she was at that's Lakewood. Where we, that's where we go. Yeah. That's where you go. And yeah. I just randomly was like, your tattoos? I didn't even know that she worked at <laughs> church because she was that new. And I was like, your tattoos are sick because I also have a lot of tattoos. And we started talking about that, and then all of a sudden I was like, oh, you work here. That's cool. <laughs> but like, I would, I would double what you said about Bailey as far as like she is contagious in her laughter and – um, she is just joyful. That's, and I love that you came to that so quickly. Like you didn't even miss a breath. Uh, it's an easy answer. If you, you don't have to spend much time around. It, okay. Then, okay. Then true. what's, hey, this is, so we got you brownie points when she listens to this. What's let's, let's even it out. What is one thing that when you guys got married, you were like, like Jess does the dishes wrong and there is no wrong, but in my head it's my way is right. Interesting. Um, so this is maybe more of an indictment of myself. It's <laughs> I can't think, do that. No, but this is really, I, but I think it, it comes full circle is that she is so meticulous and to the point, you know, she might even call it OCD to her end. I don't do any name, any chore. I don't do it to the standard. It needs to be performed, but are you efficient. You're more efficient than you are. No, I'm pretty slow. Honestly, like, <laughs> I, like, I just take my time and enjoy myself, whatever. But, you know, the one thing I found out is like, even if I wanted to help around the house, like it'll just get redone. And uh, to the extent where I think like, you know, we don't need this house to be spotless. It's about to get messed up like in, in a moment. But <laughs> she's uh, she is uh, very much a she loves cleaning. Like that is just a thing. And I don't get it. Uh, I could not relate to you more right now. I'm, I'm sitting here <laughs> literally thinking about like Jess's clean. Like I do a lot of the cooking. I love to cook. Yeah. And so, but I'm also like a tornado in the kitchen when it comes to making a mess, but I'm like, Hey, I'm going to make a mess and I'm going to clean it up at the end. One time, one fail swoop through Jess like will come in the kitchen and start cleaning as I'm cooking. And I'm like, I'm going to use that counter again in literally 30 <laughs> seconds and it's going to be dirty again. Why are you doing this? I need you go sit down. You're pregnant. Um, but yeah. dude, that's funny. That's if we make the bed, like if I need, I need to put my shoes on, I'm not sitting on the bed to put my <laughs> shoes on because you know, it's, it'll, you guys will be late cause you have to show up to remake the bed. You remake the bed. Like you can, somehow you can tell that there was a butt sitting in that, in on that cover. That's a little bit wrinkled, but, but. I, Oh gosh, that, we should just do a whole podcast of bringing on couples and that the are sweet married. little innocent things. That yeah. Are, yeah. It, well, you never, no one tells you in the first bit that like, those are the, going to be the biggest arguments. Like <laughs> those are going to be the, like the stems of like the largest and maybe, maybe not the largest, but a, a good portion of 
little of bickering is well how much of your life is just like routine and like normal to you right yeah and you're anything outside of that routine is like mind blowing to you. And you're just like colliding those two worlds in a, mo- in Je- a moment. Jess has to have all of her clothes facing the same direction when they're hung on the hanger. And that to me, I'd like to do things efficiently. So like if we have a big load of laundry, I'm just like throwing hangers on and <laughs> she's going through and re putting them in the right direction. And I'm like, it actually, it, I just had to like let it go because it used to make me mad because like, why am I even doing this? And if you're just going to like, why don't you just do it? Like if you're just going to redo it, yeah. You can. That's how I am folding towels. I have never folded a towel well. Did you Did you know that there was a right way to fold towels? Because I had no clue before I got married. There's a right way to fold towels. There's a right way to fold jeans. There's a right yeah. way to fold, I mean, shirts. <laughs> There's blankets. All of it. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, before we get too much in more in more trouble with our wives uh we need to have them on here to defend themselves yeah this is yeah not fair not fair but we're right so <laughs> uh so okay testimony uh i i'm really excited uh because this is if we're being honest one of the first replications of the initial process uh, because when I first sat down with these men over the last two years, a majority of them, I had no clue, A, who they were from Adam, but also what their testimony was. It Like the first time I was meeting them was when they were sharing their testimony with me. Uh, the first couple episodes were people that have been in my life for a long time. And so I've known their stories. Uh, Kevin and I, like I said, a month and a half, we've hung out half a dozen times, well, outside of church, half a dozen times, but I've I, not in any circumstance. Uh, we went to a, uh, a concert the other night. I'm not gonna be like, Hey, Kevin, I uh, can't hear you right now over the lady that's screaming. And <laughs> guys, the lady at the concert that we went to, we were at Red Rocks, we were at Red Rocks and mid concert, she's like 50 years old. She walks up to me and just holds her arms out. And I'm like, can I help you? And just, I just want to hug. And I looked at Kevin and immediately was like, I'll give you a hug, but also Kevin wants a hug too. So we, and she and I had already, you know, shared some words together from when she first sat down. She's like, am I being too loud? And I'm like, no, no have a good time. Enjoy but yourself, but maybe shut I, up. That would have been a good time for me to maybe <laughs> choose, choose some different words. <laughs> you did that to yourself, but <laughs> rabbit, rabbit trail. I, I don't know Kevin's testimony. Uh, I don't know honestly any of it and so i'm really excited because this is a little nostalgic for me of like it remind it it's one of those things where you truly Corey touched on it a little bit last week about how you through your testimony are giving someone a a look into the parts of your life that are a lot of times concealed or covered or mm. They are not for any reason other than they are more intimate. And um, I think that this you get to know somebody in such a way through their testimony that it, it shares their heart. It shares what the Lord is doing in their heart. And so I'm really excited for that. And so without me just continuing to babble on, uh, I have one more thing. I, I, I love this idea that whatever is shared over this testimony or over this mic is what the Holy spirit is asking and 
is prompting to be shared. And so uh, wherever Kevin jumps in, wherever he decides to leave out, and wherever he ends up concluding is exactly what you on the other side of this, whatever you're listening through, needed to hear. And maybe you didn't need to hear it, but somebody else who is listening to it in another part of wherever the country, hopefully. I have one person in Russia, which I don't know. It's probably somebody's... uh, uh, VPN. <laughs> VPN. That's just they're saying, down the street. They're yeah. They're um, because if you're in Russia listening to this, we beat you in hockey that one time. Um, okay, uh, Kevin, uh, the floor is yours. All right. Yeah. So, um, you know, growing like I said, I grew up in church, and I would say, you know, most of the time, all through high school, I was I would have been the kid who going to church, hear people's stories and would more or less feel like, you know, the stories that people would tell where they went through some awful experience in life and came out the other side, knowing the Lord that that wasn't (laughs) me. Uh, I felt that I didn't have much of a testimony. Um, you know, if only because I just kind of grew up in a pretty, what I guess I thought was a normal life, um, in Arizona, like always, you know, grew up in basically the same home my whole childhood. I was in just like two houses till I finished high school. The one I was born in, we moved one time. Uh, we were in that house the whole time and it was great. Like had two supportive parents who, um, you know, took me to any sport or whatever. I was, you know, probably playing five sports a year for my whole life until high school or whatever. Um, and, you know, we'd have, we'd do our dinners together and, you know, I had my younger brother who was like close best friend and all that. Um, and you know, nothing honestly too terrible had ever happened. Um, but you know, as I got more into high school, I one at least started to understand like, uh, I've been in church my whole life and, you know, I know that I was baptized when I was like six, (laughs) it was my decision, but like, did I really know what I meant by any of it and any of that? Um, and as you know, my world started to grow a bit as I got into high school and meet some new friends who, you know, some good influences, some not. Um, I think my eyes were opened a bit towards like, oh, like this church life that I've been living is, you know, not how everyone <laughs> approaches their life. Right. And, um, cause my friends, even up to that point were more or less just like the people on my neighborhood street or whatever else. And I don't think I was as aware as I could have been mm-hmm. to what, you know, any experiences that anyone else goes through or anything like that. Um, but around the time that high school was ending, you know, I, I was a good student, uh, you know, played sports, did music, all that sort of stuff. Like life just wasn't all that hard or anything. Uh, decided to stay in Arizona. I went to ASU, um, what did you say? Forkham. Forks, forks up. Is it forks I think, up? I think it's forks up. Yeah. It is forks up. Sorry. Anyhow, well, Forkham. You could say that's another thing you could say. You could say that and um, sound really bad. <laughs> um, but yeah, I went to ASU and at the time I was uh, dating a girl. It was like the first serious relationship that I had been in. We dated most of my whole senior year of high school. And uh, I had not been in any other sort of serious relationship at all. I think it was something that I really wanted 
I couldn't have told you why at the time necessarily, but I think being in a relationship was just something that was important to me. And I, you know, kind of let that consume my life more or less. Like my, towards the end of my senior year of high school, like, you know, we hung out all the time, like I guess any couple would do, but it, it got to the point where, uh, it just had not, not in the healthiest place, like in hindsight. Um, so at that time, like we were just two Christian kids, like we met, like knew each other from church and whatnot, but suddenly our relationship was in this like very real space, real place like that, uh, in that relationship was where I lost my virginity, uh, at the end of high school. And it ended up being like really hard on both of us. Um, another thing where like, I just grew up my whole life, like being warned in church about all these different stuff and, uh, sex being one of them. And it kind of was just in one ear out the other. I didn't feel like I had any of the context to understand why it was even important. And, um, so I went into that freshman year of college. We were still dating, but I was there at ASU during that year. She moved to Sacramento and I was suddenly in this like very emotionally tied relationship with someone, both of us 19 in different States, not really on the same life trajectory. And it didn't work out. And I was like devastated by it. I felt like I, you know, one, I can see this in hindsight, but when I had like given a piece of me away to something that was now gone and that's um, real, that's, that's real. Sorry. I'm just sitting here. Uh, Very similar story. So I, I'm, that's real. Sorry. Continue. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And there's, it was the first time in my life where I felt like there's really not even anything I can do about it. Like I made a mistake at this point, it was nine months prior or whatever it was a year prior. And I'll have to, you know, deal with that forever now. Like that's something that is done and behind me, but it took me, I'm more or less like whatever anyone might think a typical Arizona state university experiences. I did not have it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, my freshman year was wrapped up in the weird emotions of like a long distance relationship. Um, that was not the most healthy it could have been. And then from there, after that, uh, after that freshman year, I decided to move back home and finish my last three years of college from home, driving from home. And, and, uh, you know, just more or less just finished school. Uh, I was, I was the person that would show up to class, sit in the back, not talk to anyone, go out, drive back home. Uh, my days would be, I try to fit all my college days, like Tuesday, Thursday, seven 30 in the morning to like 5 PM, get all my classes in, have a four day weekend, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Um, shortly after the, her and I broke up after my freshman year, um, I started volunteering back at the youth group for which I used to go to when I was in high school. Uh, when I was a sophomore in high school, I started playing on the worship team in that group, uh, for that youth group and kind of more or less took over that worship team when I was a junior and it was small, like it it was me leading two of my friends and the rest of the room was like maybe another 15 people or something, but it was really cool. And I needed something to do that summer after having just gone through a breakup and kind of, like I said, first time in my life, like just kind of felt devastated and empty. And the one thing I knew to do was like turn to God. Mm -hmm. 
And it was something that so desperately I had not done before in my life. Um, lots of just like being in the word, a lot of, uh, you know, selfishly posting verses on Twitter and hoping I could get so many likes, whatever, just saw anything to feel better things that I, you know, in hindsight weren't helping me at all, but <laughs> I, I think I was just trying to like grasp at straws for anything that felt like any connection, I guess. Um, but anyhow, I started volunteering back at this youth group, uh, back on the worship team. My brother was still in that youth group. Um, and I went to the summer camp that they did that year and it sort of just invigorated me again to like dive back into my faith, something that had never been my number one priority. Even as I like led a worship team, it was like, Oh, I know on Sunday mornings I can practice the songs we have and, you know, know it enough that, you know, we'll have a good time, but that's all it was to me. And, uh, that summer coming out of freshman year of college, uh, I guess my life of faith really turned around a lot. Uh, Cause like I said earlier to that point, like grew up in a house where mom took us to church, dad wasn't interested in going. And as soon as church was over, we ran home to watch football, watch football all day. And, uh, I mean, my mom did so much in terms of my faith, but looking back on it now, I see like a couple of signs here and there of like, I understand why, like I was a little more apathetic to my faith, uh, I honor her so much in like taking us every week, but this is like the same deal. It's like, I never saw my mom tithe. Hmm. And like, when I talked to her about it, it would, it would just got, got uncomfortable. So like there was, um, things here and there where it was just like, I wasn't, you know, never, uh, directly under some form of, uh, what an exemplary Christian might look like or anything like that. And I think it, I saw a life of Christ that was just, you know, you can just say you're Christian as long as you go to church, like you're good. Um, but yeah, that, that summer really changed it for me. And all of a sudden I was, you know, still had three years of college left. I was volunteering in the student ministry, leading a group of seventh or eighth graders through like weekly Bible studies. I was in a college group, um, and started coaching, uh, my high school volleyball team as well. So like now I have replaced anything that was, uh, uh, relationship with someone else. I'm now volunteering like uh, five, six days a week between volleyball and church stuff and whatever. Um, and that kind of, you know, ran the next three years of my life. I was basically uh, just finishing school and, uh, volunteering at this youth group and, uh, turning the worship band into something really awesome. It was really cool to see what God did in those years. Um, but then as I wrapped up college, uh, finished school, uh, had a job lined up about, I got like a couple weeks before I graduated through a friend that I knew and started working. And right around the time that I finished college, I, it was kind of like a natural transition point to stop volunteering at that youth group and stop coaching. Cause I was living, uh, if anyone knows the Phoenix area, I was living up in Anthem, which is about 40 minutes North of Tempe, like Mesa, all that area. And I was making that drive, that 40 minute drive down to ASU all the time. But now my job was going to be down there. Uh, and so I was going to move down to Tempe area. And so the youth group and the team that I coach and all that, that's now 40 minutes away. It was just like a natural point to transition. Um, 
so and so uh decided to uh, transition away from that but in the meantime started dating a girl who was uh recently graduated out of that youth group that i was leading in it's a little scandalous <laughs> but uh i waited long enough um uh but we dated for um about a year and uh as what was becoming a trend after about a year she decided to go to the hillsong leadership college so she was moving to australia uh and long distance long distance and uh if I've found out anything about myself, maybe I'm just not the best boyfriend when it comes to long distance. I know that for a fact in both of the cases, uh, I was not the best boyfriend and that, uh, relationship ended after a couple months of her being gone. And, um, I, this was the first relationship I had been in after that first one. And I can really say it took me about three years to be ready to be in another relationship. Uh, and if I'm honest now, like I was still not ready. Like I can see all the seeds of like in that second relationship where I still wasn't like letting myself be vulnerable to someone and wasn't fair to her. Um, still dealing with a lot of the hurt from that first time around and what I knew had already given away and still wrestling with my own faith and like where I am as a man in my life and all these things. Um, but anyhow, uh, so as that relationship didn't work out either, I came out of it just feeling like, man, this is just brutal. <laughs> and, uh, but so I'm working, working this job now and kind of feel like I'm at this new point of my life. I've, uh, got this new job and I'm looking to move out to the East Valley, uh, and trying just to like get away from home more or less grow up. And about that time, started going to a new church uh, that was out there by work and went with a friend of mine who introduced me to Bailey. And so a friend of mine, Sam Paul, uh, was dating this girl, Christina. So shout out Sam Paul. Sam Paul and Christina, um, who just had their first baby. Yeah, congratulations. congratulations. Um, but anyhow, Sam uh, introduced me to Christina, who was really good friends with Bailey. And so they were trying to hook us up. And that was June of 2015. And one year later, uh, Bailey and I started dating. It took us a year. <laughs> but hey, that's, that's one year. I feel like that's, that's a long time. In my world, that feels like a long time. But a year is like, I feel like with you coming back from all of this hurt, it was wise of you to wait a year. Yeah, it wasn't so intentional, I suppose. No. But like we both just kind of didn't have our mind on dating at the time, whatever. Um, but I think it was super necessary. And this is, I suppose, where you could say, I don't know, I want to say things get interesting. But still up to this point, I felt like the kid who didn't have much of a testimony outside of just like having my heart broken by girls. <laughs> Which sounds like lame to say, but like, that's, that's, uh, that's really all. Like if I said, name the top two things that are the hardest things you've ever gone through, it's just like two breakups. And I'm like, uh, other people have gone through a lot worse or whatever. Like, that's what I would tell myself. Right. But, um, so like I said, Bailey and I met, um, June of 2015 and, uh, I, I was one month into having graduated college and just started working. And 
looking to move, get out uh, closer to Tempe. So I was still staying at home. I was at my mom's place because my parents were separated since I was in like seventh grade or so. Um, and that's it, now November. And I was at home alone watching football on Sunday. I remember the Cowboys were playing the 49ers. Uh, I was sitting on the couch. My mom was out of town. She traveled a lot for work. Um, but this specific time she was out of town, uh, on vacation in Sonoma Valley, drinking wine with a friend of hers. Um, and I got a call from my mom at, I can't remember the exact time, but sometime during the afternoon games. Uh, and she just said, you know, just checking in. How are you doing? She's like, oh, we're at this one winery. We're about to drive over to this other winery. And, was, you know, fine conversation. Hope you're doing good. See you tomorrow. She gets home the next day. Um, and then I get a call from my dad about an hour later and saying that my mom had been in a car accident. And, you know, it's an hour from when I just talked to her and you know, he's not going to find out the moment it happens either. So I'm hearing from him within an hour of having talked to her on the phone, uh, come to find out the drive that they went on from one winery to the other. She had just told me about as they were getting ready to turn in to the winery off the freeway, uh, a drunk driver came and just smashed their car off into a ravine. And, uh, she hit her head on the dashboard of the car and at the time, all I knew was she hit her head and she's in surgery. Like at this point, she's in surgery to relieve any swelling on her brain. And I knew it was like a drunk driver. Her friend that she was with, Don, he uh, hurt his shoulder, but he was okay. Uh, I mean, he was in a bad car accident, but he was going to be okay. Um, but that was on a Sunday. And then... Uh, you know, it was a lot of just let's hope this surgery goes well. They say the surgery went well, but all that is to do is like get swelling off the brain. It's like she's still unconscious. Um, you know, we're, we hope that she'll wake up. We don't know that she will kind of thing. And my aunt, my mom's sister is a neurologist and, uh, you know, approached it from what was probably a pretty devastating place to be in is like, you're someone who's very aware of all the things that are happening, but it's your sister and all that. But she was kind of leading the way on what we should do. Um, but yeah, after it took until Thursday of that same week. So five days later, uh, she just had not really made any progress and hadn't woken up. And, you know, I think it took me a couple of days to really realize what was happening. Uh, but on that Thursday, we chose to take her off life support and she passed away within about two hours or so. Um, and yeah, the only reason it took that long, I guess, is because we were hoping for a miracle. I, she never got better from Sunday night to Thursday afternoon, really. Um, but it was at the point where it was one of those things. It's like, well, what would she have wanted? And it was like, not even the, you know, don't have to think twice about it. Um, so yeah, uh, my mom all of a sudden had passed away and 
Um, you know, in those five days, most people found out about it that were at all close to us and were very comforting. Uh, like I said, I was living at home with my mom and suddenly <laughs> she was gone. And, uh, my brother was, uh, still in college he was living at ASU and, um, all of a sudden we had to kind of plan a memorial service and a funeral and all that. And like I said, I mentioned my family's pretty small. So it, and she, my mom had lots of friends and everything, but there was, it's not like, uh, we put together something at our house within like the next two weeks or something, but that was about it. And, you know, it all just kind of felt like a whirlwind. Uh, and I didn't quite know what to make of it. I knew that she got hit by a drunk driver. I knew that all of a sudden I felt very differently about drunk driving. <laughs> um, I knew that uh, I was mad. Like I cry. I don't cry a lot. I, but I cried two times really hard. One on the phone with my aunt when we decided like her and I kind of saying like, it's time to let her go. And then, uh, sometime a day or two later, just sort of fell apart on my living room floor in front of God. And, uh, it was never a question. Like I knew my mom was in heaven. Like that was something great. Uh, but it just felt unfair. Like in whatever sense of the word, like a lot of my family went out to see her in the hospital. Uh, I think in some regards, because like they're hoping that she's going to wake up and be okay. Uh, my brother and I and my dad all chose not to go. Um, I still don't know how I feel about my decision now, <laughs> but I f for pretty quickly on, we kind of knew like it wasn't good. I it was, I was trying to fight between like, do I want to see my mom that way? Is it going to make it harder to make some decision if I'm looking at her? I don't know. I think there was like no good answer. <laughs> and I just kind of honestly probably just picked what was a little bit easier, stay together with my dad and my brother. Um, but that night that it happened, that Sunday night, uh, I had to be the one to go over and tell my grandma and uh, my grandpa, who is uh, her second husband. So not my mom's dad, but they, for all intents and purposes, kind of were like my, you know, her parents and so on. Um, and she had already started suffering from Alzheimer's, my grandma did. And my mom was like, like she lived near us. She was like, lived near us to be by my mom, all these things. And that was something I wasn't really prepared for. Like walking in there, knowing something that's about to rock their world and, uh, watching someone just kind of fall apart in front of you. Um, when you tell them that their kid is in an accident and you kind of don't know what's going to happen, but it's really bad. And, um, I think, I mean, from the five hours or so that went by from when my dad called me to when I went over and told them, 
that's the moment where it like really kind of sunk in. And then, like I said, the next couple of days were really hard. Um, talked to a lot of people, uh, pastors and close people in my life who, you know, were great, did everything they could to encourage me, but it all just kind of like felt like muted and background noise more or less. Um, but yeah, then, you know, we had a lot of decisions to make my brother and I in terms of like there was this house and all these different things that like are so secondary, but besides those things, fairly quickly, it felt like life just kind of went on. Like there was this small group of people really grieving the loss of someone, but, um, (laughs) the, you know, the next day came again and again. And all of a sudden, like I moved out to the East Valley and, uh, you know, that was November of 2015 within, you know, the next six months, I'm just living with some buddies of mine and it's just kind of this new reality. Like my mom's gone. And I think it strengthened my faith. I don't, I was angry that my mom was, had passed away, but I don't think I ever doubted the goodness of God. Uh, I think that whatever work had gone on in my heart, like the three years before that, you know, going through college and everything, I was never questioning, like, was my mom in heaven? Like any of that, I was, there was things I was sad about. I think, um, you know, I realized like the things that my mom wouldn't see, she wouldn't see my brother graduate college. She wouldn't like, like she did see me graduate. Uh, she wouldn't ever meet the person I married, uh, anything like that. Uh, those were hard for sure. But, um, you know, it, my, my faith was as strong as it could be though, which was, I guess, cool. <laughs> Cause I was really feeling God's comfort in that season of my life. And, um, when I started dating Bailey about seven months later, um, I was living with two friends of mine, uh, my friend Ryan and my friend Austin. And, um, you know, life had, I kind of had settled into this new life. I was living with two guys and we'd figured out everything from my mom having passed away. Um, life got a little more difficult with my grandma because that's, my mom was kind of the one watching out for her and she's gone and it really made her Alzheimer's like deteriorate a lot quicker. I think the stress of it all. And so I was going back to see them pretty often, but that was getting hard. Like suddenly like I was her brother to her, like, and her husband was her dad and like all this, it was kind of, you never knew what to expect anytime you went over. Um, but Throughout all this, I'd kind of like settled into this new church that I'd been going to uh, called 2911 Church in Tempe um, and been on the worship team there. And just kind of, you know, what, one thing I definitely do in my life is like dive into just whatever the thing is that I'm working on, be it that youth group I originally served on or now I'm on the worship team at this new church and trying just to be there in any way that I can. Um, and as you know, working a good job, Bailey had, Bailey was finishing up her last year at Grand Canyon university out in Arizona and about the time that she was going to graduate. So let's see, I'll mess up this timeline if I don't think too much about it. So we started dating June, 2016, she graduated 
basically May of 2017. And I proposed to her at Christmas of 2017. So we dated for about a year and a half. I proposed uh, six months after she graduated and we were married April of 2018. We were engaged for four months. Um, and, uh, the house that I was living in with my buddies, uh, Bailey and I just ended up living in after we got married. Um, and you know, pretty quickly I found out all the things that like we mentioned earlier that I don't do like, like she does and whatever else, but, uh, learning all the, the joys of marriage and stuff. And, uh, one interesting wrinkle to all this is like, I had a dog, uh, my mom had a dog that suddenly became my dog. Um, and so Bailey joins this house of just rambunctious, crazy dogs. Uh, and it, it was just, it, it was a great, uh, you know, initial marriage season of life. We were just like enjoying each other, having fun and, uh, her dealing with these crazy dogs that like, <laughs> I've gotten used to, but like it was new for her. Um, but then let's see about, it must've been, so we got married in April. I think that December, um, oh, I'm, mix, I'm mixing up my timeline. I apologize. So we got married in April that May. Um, we were going to go on our honeymoon a little bit after we got married and I got a call a week before we were supposed to go on our honeymoon that my grandma had had a stroke and was going to the hospital and uh, you know, she was, things had been bad enough already where, you know, she kind of just didn't remember who anyone was. Um, we, you know, weren't anticipating a stroke or anything like that, but we'd always kind of been preparing in around that time to, you know, do we need to eventually put her in a home or something like that? All of a sudden things got pretty real and, um, she had a stroke and we were leaving for our, uh, honeymoon in a week and she recovered from the stroke, but not like entirely. And, and, uh, it just wasn't looking that good about two days into our honeymoon. My aunt called me and she had passed away. And so within, I guess now this is all within like two years, two, two and a half, three years or so. My mom, and my grandma had passed away and this one felt different than my mom. Like, you know, I got to say bye <laughs> to my grandma. Um, but it was just dealing with death. Like I hadn't dealt with before in these two instances. And, uh, it just felt like, man, these, you know, I hadn't dealt with anything like this my whole life and how it's happening like two in fairly close succession and two people who were like really close to me. Um, so that was, that was tough. And, I think me dealing with that, having Bailey around this time was great, like a lot more, uh, a lot better than trying just to deal with all those emotions on your own. Um, so you did, you, you did process with her, you, yeah. And this one, like I said, it like came a little more, uh, by the time she passed away, like she had the stroke, I'd seen her in the hospital gotten a little bit to talk to her, but we could tell like she wasn't actually doing that well. Uh, now like couldn't walk. Like it was more than just Alzheimer's at this point. Right. And it was kind of like, 
the, a lot of that grieving happened in the hospital. By the time that I heard she had passed away, it was like, you know, eventually I'm going to get this call kind of thing. But yeah, I was able to process through that with Bailey and have someone to cry with. And, um, you know, I'd have my rough times and she'd talk me up and vice versa, you know, things like that. But, um, then that same December, uh, I got invited to go to a ski trip to Telluride with some friends of mine, one of them being Austin, the guy that I lived with. And Austin was like the best friend of my whole life. We met living up, living down the street from one another in second grade. Uh, Austin had spinal muscular atrophy, which is similar to like muscular dystrophy. As long as I knew him, he was in a wheelchair, in a power chair. Uh, Austin was the dude who had like no limits. He would play goalie and hockey and no one could score on him because he just put his chair in front, but he'd also like take a puck to the face and whatever, like all good. Uh, you know, we, we grew up, me just riding on the back of his chair around where we lived and just, you know, causing mischief and being silly, whatever. But, uh, we were best friends and we, you know, lived together for two years when we moved out of Anthem, uh, rode to class together in college all the time. I did all Austin's homework for him, <laughs> all that sort of stuff. But, um, he invited me on this trip with a bunch of our buddies and I can't remember why I couldn't go one reason or another. I couldn't go. And Austin would do this adaptive skiing. Um, and basically what it looks like is someone sits on more or less of a chair and then someone's like leashed to them and goes down the mountain when you're skiing, like holds them. And his brother would do that. And it's pretty cool. Um, I guess this day up in Telluride, uh, it was really, really cold and Austin is not one to like quit anything, but I guess he was like shivering, like seemed maybe a little more off than maybe he normally would be, but they're like, you okay? Like you want to keep going? And he's like, no, I'm good. And he just lost consciousness on the lift up, uh, like the second time up and, uh, you know, by the time I got to the top of the lift, they're trying to do CPR and stuff. They fly him to some hospital. I don't know if they came up to Denver or not, but yeah, I was at a small group thing for church and just got a call from Austin's mom saying like, here's what happened. And it was a very similar situation to my mom, not like in terms of like an impact injury or anything like that, but basically like he had no oxygen to his brain for a couple minutes and we're hoping he wakes up and who knows if you will. And, um, but kind of felt like deja vu all over again because <laughs> now, you know, it was my mom. Uh, obviously like a stroke is something different, but it's like, gosh, she's like three people, like are some of the three closest people in my life to me. I'll get these head injuries in like a matter of three years all together. And now this one, it's like, what do I, what do you do? And it was really tough for me because his family is like more than anything probably has a lot to do with where my faith is today. Like they, Austin, Austin's older sister had the same, uh, uh, spinal muscular atrophy. Uh, his younger sister has it to a lesser extent, but like they, they're a family who's dealt with a lot of, you know, they've dealt with disability. They've dealt with a lot of tough things, but they have faith like, you know, you've never seen like, the, and it did so much for me to see 
how strong they were as a family. Um, and they, in that time, were really believing strongly that God was going to do a miracle and like saying it like God's going to do a miracle. And I was coming from this place where I was like, what if he doesn't? Right. And I didn't know how to like really justify that in my head. I didn't know how to tell God what he needed to do. And what, like, am I going to be devastated if that doesn't happen? Like, and I didn't know, like, who can I talk to this about? Like, I don't want to be the one doubting something's going to happen or whatever. Um, but I just kind of felt like here we are again. I know how this ends. Um, and that was tough. Like it was, it was like this trip I was supposed to be on and it was my best friend. And, um, you know, about, about the same amount of time, probably like four or five days passed and no progress had happened. And, uh, so they made the decision some number of days later to take Austin off life support and he passed away. Um, you know, their, their faith was still just as strong. It rocked them as a family, like obviously losing your kid or your sibling, but, um, you know, they praised God the whole way through and, uh, but nonetheless, like, it was just like, man, <laughs> it really felt like for a little bit, it was like, man, everyone close to me is dying. <laughs> like, and it felt, that's really like just how it felt. It's like, not that I needed to like keep people away from me. Cause like people close to me are dying, but it's just like, it was just got felt scarier than it should. It's like everything felt a bit more, uh, finite. And, uh, I don't, I'd like to believe that I dealt with that well, but I, like, I wish that that just made me have more appreciation for everyone around me. But I think it just kind of made me calloused a bit. Mm. And, uh, where I started this saying like one thing I love so much about my wife is like her joy. Uh, I don't know if, if I've felt like at times, like I've lost that a little bit where I just, uh, I'm not necessarily like angry at, at the way things have gone or anything like that, but just like, I don't know. It just, where I got to in life was just like, man, this, all like, it's just hard and things don't end well. Like that's kind of where I got to. And, you know, that's even carrying over from like some of the relationships I'd been in. It was like, you can try hard at stuff. You can want the best for things. You can, uh, you know, you can pursue God as like a good Christian, like what I thought I was doing. It's like, and things still just like, you'll either you'll get your heart broke or someone close to you will die or, uh, and it was tough. Like I, wasn't sure how to kind of reconcile any of that. Um, and really what made the difference for me was my wife and some particularly close friends and our pastor at our old church in Arizona. You know, these are people that like were fully aware of like all the things happening in my life. Like they knew Austin, uh, knew my parents, knew, knew my grandma and, you know, I knew me enough to know what was going on in my life and stayed close to me and just, you know, it wasn't trying to baby me or anything like that. But like, you know, if I felt like I really felt like at 
I didn't need to take time off of the worship team I was volunteering on. And it could have been really easy for them to like say, take time. I was like, I really think I need this. And like my pastor, I'm so grateful to him, Mark, uh, for giving me that opportunity to like, just still be involved in something and not just feel, I felt like I would definitely be the type to like, if I'm not doing anything, just go wallow (laughs) and sit in it. And so had the opportunity from a lot of people to, um, you know, kind of still live and find like the joy of what the rest of life still is. Um, but do you think that in that you were able to still find healing through not like through busying yourself. Cause Jess and I've had these hypothetical conversations of like, if this were to happen, how do you think you would respond? And my response is like, I think I would do what you did. I think I would compartmentalize a little bit and just keep like, I would have to just keep going. Um, and so for someone who is like experiencing trauma or loss, like, is there another, in in your opinion, through experiencing this, is there another way than other than like shutting down your life for? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. I, where I struggled to answer it is like, I know from what like my wife has told me and I think what I've kind of figured out about myself is I really can hardcore compartmentalize things where when, part of what being so busy and all those other things was for me, is like, I can put my mind on this other thing. And even if I'll, you know, still lay my head down at night and like think about missing my mom, like for these couple hours, I won't think about it. Right. And, uh, you know, if all, if no matter what I was doing, I was still just like in the back of my mind, like thinking about the pain I'm going through, like, if that was my situation, I don't know that I'd all simultaneously want to be doing a bunch of things. Right. But given that I felt like those things were all like a reprieve from having to, you know, just think about these things. Like certainly that was what helped me a ton. Um, and it, you know, going through losing Austin, uh, Bailey knew Austin really well. Like they'd become really good friends and, you know, she had met my grandma, but not so much, um, and had never met my mom. Uh, going through losing Austin with her was very different in that, you know, I had to console someone else too. Like she was really struggling with that and was devastated. And I think we did approach it a little bit differently. Like I, I was coming at it from this sense of one, like, kind of here we go again, like calloused to it, I think. Um, and two, just like, you know, trying to compartmentalize it and think like, that's a thing that's happening over here. I need to like get my focus on these other things just to like help me get through the day where Bailey was like, uh, she needed more of that. Hey, let's just go like cry together and like be on the couch or whatever for like a couple hours. And it's like, that's not how I'd approached this at all up to this point. Right. Um, so there's certainly like the different approaches to it, but I know that it helped me like finding things, to, like put my mind on other things. And you know, that's <laughs> been something through our marriage that has come up quite a bit in like our ability to 
deal with, you know, arguments amongst each other, uh, just hard things going on where, uh, you know, I've had to figure out like, how do I be the best husband that I can be when it is fairly easy for me to just like put this thing out of sight, out of mind, but not so for her. Right. And how do how am I comforting when it's something that otherwise I can just not think about or whatever. Um, but yeah, it, it was huge for me to be able to find time to pour into other things. And yeah. And it, and it sounds like, again, so I can't speak to experience in this, uh, in any degree that you are, but it sounds like to someone listening to this, like there is no right or wrong way to, to grieve. And like each, each circumstance from what I'm hearing required something different from you. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I'm curious, like had Bailey prior to you losing your best friend, uh, had she experienced loss in any way or, uh, no, no she hadn't. So in a way it was, it was like when you had lost your, you, you as, as sad as this, like it's, but like you were kind of experienced in loss at this point. Yeah. And so, um, you had your ways of coping with it that you were now comfortable with. comfortable with and they were tried. And, um, but even like she's now experiencing it for the first time. And so you're kind of brought back to yeah those, f- that first time of like, well, Hey, well now she's grieving for, for right. a loss. Yeah. Um, I know like, I wish that I was better about this for sure. But like one of the biggest, uh, you know, things that we've had to get through in our marriage is up until Austin had passed away. And then maybe even to some extent after, um, you know, we'd get in an argument about something that I would just deem as trivial and to Bailey, it wasn't trivial. And that should be enough for me at least to like take it seriously and like, you know, empathize with her and try and be a good husband. But I was coming at it from the point of like, you think this is a big deal. Like, let me tell you, it's not a big deal. What is a big deal is like dealing with someone dying. And that wasn't fair to her at all. Cause what is, you know, how can I expect her to even know what that feels like? And like, who am I to try to, you know, put myself above her and how I feel about it you know, any, any issue, but it was a real conflict for us. Cause I felt like I was warranted not to be upset by things that weren't someone dying. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, who cares if I didn't put that dish away, you know, how small the thing that is like, that's where I was coming from. And it was not from a gracious or loving point as a husband, mm-hmm. something I've really tried to work on, but it was a real it was just two totally different perspectives of life. Honestly, like going through something like that, you kind of just view things a little bit differently. And there's obviously like a gracious and loving way to like bring two people that have these different perspectives together. And I wasn't doing that the best, uh, you know, I still struggle with it. I think sometimes today, but you know, what else can you do about it? Right. It's like, I, I don't want Bailey to know the, pain that I've felt from losing someone, but I also can't deny that I have felt it. Right. And it, it was a real tough thing for us to kind of work through. And I think in going through that with Austin, like that's, you know, 
I think that has like kind of changed her perspective on things. Like how could it not? Right. Um, but also just life really does like kind of take on a different, uh, weightiness to it. Like when you see that it's can easily be stripped away, but yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that with me. I, I don't, I should have asked you this with your grandma, but I just keep getting pressed. I'm, I want to ask it with Austin, uh, just to honor him. Like what was one thing that he taught you? Like what was, or like, what was your, his favorite, your favorite thing about him? Or maybe that's one answer for two questions or. Yeah. Um, so like I said, like he, he was never going to be defined by uh, his disability, which, uh, you know, if you knew him at all, like, you know, that's true. Like he literally passed away skiing. (laughs) Um, but, uh, really, I really, what changed my life, like a moment, I don't remember too much of like when I was, you know, in like young grade school or anything like that. But there's like one day that I remember so vividly, it was like sixth grade and we had this writing assignment for basically like, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I didn't write mine. So I was just going to go take, like you do the thing where you turn them in, just put them on the table and they're just sitting on some table all class. And at the end of class, like teacher will grab them. So at the beginning of class, I just grab the top one on the stack, take it over to the bathroom and I'm going to read it just to get an idea of what someone else wrote. And I grabbed Austin's and we were friends. Like we were really good friends, but I guess it's like good of friends as two people can be in sixth grade. Like Mm -hmm. we just like played in the neighborhood together and whatnot. But I didn't know what I wanted to write for what I want to do when I grow up. And his starts and he just says, I want to be a good Christian or someone knows the Lord like through me. And I was like a sixth grader reading this. I was like, I don't like it blew my mind. Like that is not how I had thought about my faith up to this point. Like my faith was just like, I go to church on Sunday. That's it. And he just wrote like pages about like what he wanted to do with his life for the Lord. Hmm. And, you know, I had not thought about my faith like that in any way, but I was like, man, but if he can do that, like certainly I can. Hmm. Um, and then as our relationship blossomed from there, like from that day, like from when we met, when we were like nine, that day when I read that paper when we were like 11 or whatever, uh, to when, you know, we lived together and we're best friends until he passed away. Like he was consistent in that he was never going to be defined by his disability and he was never going to, you know, let anything about his physical situation determine like his faith or like his, you know, where he was going to spend eternity or how he's going to deal with people. Hmm. Uh, you know, his boldness to talk about the goodness of God, despite his situation, like was unmatched. So yeah, like I can't say enough good things about Austin and miss him every day, but yeah. Dang. Well, thank you for sharing that. I, I interrupted you. You're good. Um, Man, I'm, I don't feel like qualified to, to speak into any of this, uh, that you are sharing because I've, I've never experienced loss to the degree that you have, uh, 
And so I don't want to even like try to say something like, Oh, I get it. Or like, I'm, sure. I have something to, <laughs> right. to add to that. Uh, but I, I do have one thing and man, Holy spirit is he's real. <laughs> uh, I heard a statistic, uh, that is, uh, it was shared by Matt Chandler in a podcast that I think it was, 80% of church going Christians do not believe that the Holy spirit is real. Hmm. And I've experienced it very fully. And one of those is um, this morning I felt this pressing need to pick up a book that I should be reading for my men's group Bible study that I'm a part of, but I'm <laughs> multiple weeks behind. Uh, and it is the, the, I read one page this morning and it was the promise to those who mourn. Um, and it talks about how uh, when in the verse, in the in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about how uh, they will, uh, for those who mourn, they will be comforted. Uh, the Greek word is parakletos, uh, Jesus' name for the Holy Spirit. It's impossible to translate this Greek word in merely one English word to make sense. Various translations include comforter, counselor, helper, advocate. Parakletos means one who comes alongside, taking place of Jesus. What Jesus was and is, so is also the Holy Spirit. He comes alongside to uphold us. When Jesus promised the mourners will be comforted, the verb is in the future tense of Parakletos. Jesus did not say that they are comforted, but rather they will be comforted. The comfort will come down the road. And as you talk, it makes me think about how that promise has been prevalent like, yeah. to to you. Yeah. Uh, and it still is today where when you lose somebody, it's not like I need to be comforted right now. I do. But then tomorrow I'm still going to need comforted. Yeah. And I, I think that you're living that promise mm. just from what you're talking about. Um, you're an example for me. You're an encouragement for me because, um, man, you have faced hurt and trial and loss. And for you to say that losing your mom, sh like to have the, and I'm sure, and maybe it didn't, but I'm sure it took some, took some time to get there, but for you to be able to say my faith was strengthened through losing my mom, dude, I don't know if I'd be able to say that. Hmm. Um, I don't, I don't think I would. Uh, and so you're an encouragement to me, um, because, and it makes me teary right now thinking about like losing my mom and she's right down the road from me. Yeah. Um, so thank you for having the vulnerability to come here and be like raw. So, yeah. And like you said, like it takes comforting it, you know, well down the road, like the toughest parts of it have been, uh, so like, like I mentioned, she accident was on a Sunday, passed away on a Thursday. Um, I led worship at our church that Sunday and that was something real important for me uh, where I said like I needed to do other things. Like I didn't necessarily want to just be sitting at home. Uh, 
I had to like convince people like, no, let, please let me go up there and sing. Like, cause I, that's what I want to do. Um, and they did. And it was like very comforting to me to be up there and worship the Lord, uh, in a time that I really I felt needed it. Um, but you know, it's also came the next day or the, I guess the day before I went to a wedding, uh, and kind of without realizing it, the, uh, groom and, or what a mother and son dance with the groom happened. And I'm just sitting there and it just like hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, Oh, I won't get to do that. And my, you know, later down the road, I realized my mom never met Bailey. And when we have kids, like, there'll just be a grandparent that was never there. Like those are the things that you always have to like deal with. Right. And get comfort for, um, I think I've always, I tried to approach all these things. And I think what Bailey would call like the logical piece of my brain, which is the much dominating part of my mm-hmm. brain. It's like this thing happened, right? Like my mom passed away and I can't change it. So what are you going to do? Right. And you can wallow or, or not. And you can, uh, you know, strengthen your faith from it, or you can lose your faith. Which one do you want to do? Right. And I think that's something that I've really learned throughout all this is like the same way that, you know, we each choose for ourselves to have faith in the Lord. It's like we can choose for ourselves, like how we are going to react to things. Right. And, uh, I think the, the enemy tries to throw as much as he can at us with the hope that, you know, we'll kind of crumble underneath it and you don't have to. And I think my faith is stronger because I was forced to like, look my faith straight in the face and say, is this worth it? Like it, I can either grow from this or not. And I don't like the place that I would be in if I chose not to. Right. If I chose to just like let this destroy me, it's like, I don't want to be in that place. Right. And it's like a daily decision, I suppose. Uh, and not to say it doesn't like get easier, like talking about this stuff, it's only five years ago or so. But you know, I, I woke up today and it felt like a normal day. Right. And, uh, there's reminders here and there all the time about, um, my mom being gone. Like, I don't, I don't always think about myself as the person whose mom passed away. And when Bailey's talking to her mom on the phone, I don't always think like, man, I wish I could do that too. Like, it's just kind of like becomes part of who you are. Um, certainly I remember it sometimes others more, more than others, but, um, certainly like what you read, like God has been my comfort again and again. And I think he's put the right people in my life at every point in my life to give me the opportunity to continue to grow process from it. Like if I, you know, was with a group of people that week that my mom passed away, who just said like, no, don't come to this wedding and be around your friends. Don't like, why would you go to something happy? Like you should be mourning. Like no one tried to tell me that. And 
you know, you're scheduled for worship, but we're going to take you off because we think it's better for you. It's like, I'm telling you, I want to go up there. And I think God put all the right people in my life to watch out for me more or less. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, looking back on it, like that's certainly very encouraging because <laughs> it just reminds you that, you know, that something, something will be the next thing that happens. Right. And he's proven himself time and again through what you've already gone through. What's any different now? Right. So it's the lions and the bears, which I say that you, you paraphrased. So he's proven himself time and time again. Why would he not this next time? And, uh, David approaches King Saul in first Samuel asking to fight Goliath and Saul essentially looks at him and says, why would I let you do that? You're a little shepherd boy and the least of these, uh, the least of your family. Why then would I let you fight the champion of the Philistines and, and a winner takes all (laughs) thing. And David's response is my whole life. I've been fighting lions and bears and the Lord, my God has protected me. Why then, when I go fight this Philistine, would that change? Right. And it's the lions and the bears. Like, you are living, it's the lions and the bears. Um, Because he has stood with you in the last, I mean, your whole life. Yeah. But even more tangibly, not to say that losing relationships, I'm not downplaying that, but I would imagine that the sting is a little bit more. (laughs) Oh yeah. Uh, But he's been there. And so, man, I, we started talking and I don't even know if you were done sharing. Um, So I, I want to give you the opportunity uh, to jump back in. If, if you have more, Uh, I think just a little bit more. So like, I think you just mentioned like the relationships earlier in my life. Like I, I look back on it all now and it, I know that the two like failed romantic relationships I had taught me so many lessons to be like the husband I can be to Bailey today. I know that for a fact. I also know that those, the down parts of those times after the breakups, I guess, strengthened me. It got me to a point in my faith and pushed me in the direction of like being involved in church where I was in a position to, you know, deal with my mom passing away. Like if I was just casually going to church, like not really involved in anything kind of like I had been up to the point where I went through that first breakup, I don't know like how I would have reacted. Right. And it's like God's had his hand on every piece of it. And you know, there's uh, one of the, one of the tougher things that I guess I can just leave with like a sense of, encouragement to anyone listening is like, you know, my, my, I'm not the only one that has lost these people, right? Like my brother, uh, my dad, like they know everyone that I talked about. Right. Um, and we didn't all deal with it the same, cope with it the same. Um, we had to go to the trial for the guy to hit my mom. Uh, he was very drunk. He blew a 2.4, or a point, sorry, point two four. So he's like, basically, like had to get his stomach pumped after the wow. police found him. Um, and it was his fourth DUI. Like, he had his license already suspended. Like crazy stuff. 
And we had to go to the court where they were going to rule like whether this was like murder. Cause like he knew what was happening if he got behind the wheel of a car drunk cause he'd already been arrested or whatever. And you know, I was in a room with my family, you know, kind of, you know, some people amongst my family like hated this guy and I got it. Like I understood why that's not really what I felt on my heart. Like I felt, uh, maybe, maybe you can call it forgiveness. I don't know. Like I, I felt like this was just someone who I guess had to pay the consequence for the mistake they'd made, but by no means did I think that this was like someone I wanted to like burn in hell. Like that's not what was in my heart either. And, but sitting next to like family of mine who all they saw was like the person that killed their sister or whatever it, that was, that taught me a lot around like a lot of people have dealt with death and not everyone can or does process it the same. Mm -hmm. And to the same extent that I'm happy and grateful that the people in my life allowed me to grieve in the way that was, you know, I kind of knew it was best for me. Yeah. Everyone does deal with these things differently. So, you know, I was more the person who was like, I want to kind of just hang out with my friends and laugh and have a good time. And I don't think I'm dishonoring someone by going and laughing. <laughs> like, I don't think like, but you know, someone else might not feel that way. And I, I would just encourage anyone who, if this is you or if this is you don't feel bad about how you are grieving <laughs> and hopefully it's purposeful. Like you, I hope that you can have that conversation with yourself. It's like, well, where do I want to go from this? Do I want to just spiral myself or do I want to, you know, be better? Um, hopefully the answer is you want to be better. Like don't spiral yourself because you can, no, no one's going to be there to catch you necessarily. Like you can just watch yourself go down the drain as far as you want. God's always there, but like, um, you can certainly be self-destructive. Um, but to the same extent, like if you're someone helping someone going through something like this, like they, you know, the way that you would recommend for them to deal with it might not be how you would. And just try to be understanding. Um, because yeah, it's just a very different grieving process for everyone. And like, especially it gets hard if someone is at fault for someone else passing away. Like if there is like a crime or something that happened, like I don't think you're, anyone's really able to know how they're going to deal with those emotions until they come. But yeah. Hmm. Dang. Well, <laughs> I, I have, Two questions for yeah. you. Uh, and I promise to be more uh, light. <laughs> no. Oh, not, no. Well, the, the thing, I feel like I was on a somber note there. At the end. No, 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 no. I, I think that that is something... I think as humans, we are afraid of the somber. We're afraid of the melancholy. Uh, and like the tone of this entire conversation shifted and that's okay. Yeah. Like, I think that that is something that is a honoring to your testimony and to the people that you have lost, but B is reality of as humans, we, 
are not living this life of everything is going to be a positive. Right. And if we pretend that we can not, I think that there's a right way to speak about the negatives um, or the hurts or the wrongs, uh, but they need to be spoken about. And so the fact that it's somber and the fact that it's on a lower note is okay because that's life. Yeah. Uh, And so I warned you about these two questions and I want to throw a curveball at you because I'm going to change one a little bit. But the first one is uh, I want you to pick the crossroad time. Maybe Mm -hmm. there's two, maybe Mm -hmm. there's three, maybe it's before every, maybe one's after a breakup, one's before each person that you lost. Uh, But uh, you take the time that you need. Uh, I've started to learn in this that I really don't care how long they are. Uh, So if you listen to this and you're like, wow, this is a long podcast. And don't listen. Maybe that's maybe that's wrong. But I love these conversations, uh, and I think that for me to see this time running and be like, "Oh, we're going excellent amount of time." Like, I'm not going to do an injustice to the story that Kevin has to tell by uh, by putting some time constraint on it. So, with that, Kevin, I uh, I want you to to th- if you would think to a a a cross point moment, crossroad moment, and you you can say something, do something, give something to that moment in time, Kevin. Hmm. Uh, what would that be? And if that's multiple, like I, if if life if life is a highway, as Rascal Flats would say, no. But if life is this journey, there's it'd be again. Uh, it would be naive to think that there's more than less. There's only one crossroads. Right. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think most importantly, and I think it might be the most cliche thing I would say is before my mom passed away at some point, uh, you know, month or a year before or whatever, uh, I wish I could just tell myself to, love and appreciate her more and be around more. Uh, another thing I don't think you can totally comprehend for yourself until it happens is like when someone passes away, like they're really gone. Like all the things you were waiting on and all the things that you were hoping for down the road are not going to happen now. Hmm. And, (laughs) you know, you missed family dinner because you thought it'd be fun to play one more game of FIFA with your friends. Like that's the stuff I look back on and I'm just like, you know, you can have grace for yourself, but it's like, man, what I wouldn't get like the, it's like the cliche thing, but like what I wouldn't give for just like 10 more minutes with my mom. Right. And so I wish that my last phone call with her was more purposeful. I wish that I was, you know, not aware that she was about to pass away, but I wish that I had every one of those conversations with the idea of like, let's end this conversation knowing that I like love you so much. And I'm so appreciative for you because why can't each conversation in that way? Cause it, you know, could be the last one. Hmm. Um, and then I would hope that that would, you know, flow through to same with my grandma and same with Austin and so on. Um, Besides that, I would go back to after that first breakup, 
like hindsight now, like I was 19 then. And I looked back at the kid that was 19 who, you know, now I understand was like so naive about so much. And I know today, like one thing I figured out, if anything over the last nine years is just like how much you don't know. <laughs> right. And I wish I would just tell myself not to be so hard on myself about mistakes mm -hmm. and, and know like you're young and you have plenty of road ahead. Like I've spent a lot of time wasted, like being sad for what didn't happen and what could have been. And, you know, that goes to not just relationships. It's like work. It's like, ah, like if you had chose a different major, when you first entered college, like you, there's this whole path you could have gone down or whatever. And it's like, what, like, what am I, I'm still young. Like I, I still, and there's so much life ahead and like so many things that you don't have figured out, like just in like enjoy life and don't be so bogged down in all these things that you think are the end of your world hmm. because you'll eventually face something much more severe and real. And you'll find out through that, even that that's not the end of your world, right? Hmm. Like, my life has still gone on and there's still purpose to it. And, uh, you know, even when you go through what is the worst, like, you know, the, you know, Stephen King can picture something even worse to happen, you know, and like, you're still going to be here and like, you still have decisions to make for yourself and you still have, uh, you know, a life that is God honoring to live. Mm -hmm. So go do that and, you know, let the pieces fall where they may, but don't be the one that just like, so give myself a hug, say it'll be okay. And like, you're being too hard on yourself. This, I guess the moral of that. Yeah. Yeah. I, there is one part of your testimony that I can relate to. And I think that that's an important thing is to recognize that even in this, uh, between the two of us, like I also lost my virginity when I was my a senior, I was right after my senior year of high school yeah. and I had, I was so mad at myself because I mean, I dated a girl for over two years and we didn't. And I was going to like, that was one thing that I was holding on to. It was like, I'm going to save that for marriage. I'm going to save that for marriage. And then yeah. one night, one summer, that summer I drank too much. And with a girl that I barely even knew, did something that I still today regret. Uh, and I mean, I just want, cause you, you talked about like this, it's like, and I realized you're be, like, this is like your, your testimony is using is being used right now because I felt so, Oh my gosh. Like so shameful about mm -hmm. that for so long. And I beat myself up about it for so long. Uh, because that was something that I was supposed to, like, as a Christian, you don't do this. And it's like, so like, and then like my wife, like, I'm going to have to talk to my wife about, and you are, you yeah. will one day have to have that conversation. If this, this is you and like, you will have to have that conversation because there are consequences to sin. And like, that is one of the consequences is having to own up to something, but like yeah. have grace for yourself. If you, um, are, are walking in that because you're not the only one as two people sit here at this table and talk about how that much that sucked. <laughs> um, yeah. like, like it does and it, it did. Uh, but 
it doesn't make you less than and it doesn't make you unqualified for happiness or for marriage or for anything totally uh, yeah and it's you know life is funny in the way that we only are able to understand the experience that like we have right like i know that when i you know tell my wife about my sexual past specifically and i'm she is someone who had never even said i love you to anyone else uh like we're coming at it from very different points of view it's like i was in two very serious relationships like we're always going to have like have that disconnect where we're just like coming into this at two very different perspectives right and i know like what i was carrying on as baggage and i wish that i didn't have those things and like all, but if all that I can do with it is like try to vehemently make it clear to anyone else that later on can make that decision for themselves. Like, you know, when I was first had sex, like I definitely wasn't like the reasons that I was told in church, like why it's worth waiting. Those were not the things going through my mind. I was like, they didn't even make sense to me, but like hearing you say, and like what I'm totally like connecting with is like, you're going to have to share all these things to someone eventually and then deal with the repercussions of them forever. And, you know, you learn to like work through them with your spouse and whatever, but man, what a, like a gift, amazing gift it would have been myself to give to my wife. Yeah. Uh, I mean that alone, like if I could have that in my mind when I was 18, like that would have, changed it for me i think but yeah it's tough like yeah don't be too hard on yourself. don't be too hindsight's 2020 but i think part of testimony is like man if we could put purpose to our pain so like yeah. if this is i don't know what demographic is listening to this uh but if you're a high schooler or you're in college or you're 30 <laughs> uh man uh if you have the chance to think clearly in that moment <laughs> I promise you that it's worth it to not only for, not only for, but to not have to sit with the person that you love and are going to spend the rest of your life and like express that to them. Um, because that's, that was a painful night <laughs> to sit and to bear all. Uh, I would like to have been able to say my bear all is nothing, but it wasn't. And so, sure. uh, but yeah, I'm still married and, <laughs> and it, and it is not, the end of the world. Although, although in that moment you may feel like it is right. Uh, that, okay. So the next question is the one that I promised that it will actually one that I told you. And then I changed. Okay. Uh, originally the question was going to be, if you could give one piece of advice to somebody, and you can still answer this, but uh, to somebody who is walking or getting ready to walk through and from your testimony, the person, this person, honestly, this is for everybody because nobody knows yeah. when, and you kind of answered that a little bit in your last one. So I want to change it to, to somebody, what would you, what was one piece of advice that you would give to somebody whose loved one is experiencing loss or grief? How would you, how would you have been loved best? Uh, or like, what's one thing that you needed as, so like, let's say like Bailey. Yeah. Like, or uh, to a, to a dad or a mom who 
their son or daughter just lost their best friend. How do I, who they're not necessarily a part, like their best friend from college that you didn't really know that well, but like, how do I love them well? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I know that I was not always the most rational in how I chose to like go about things. So like when Austin passed away, for whatever reason, it was important to me a couple nights later, like I'm going to go to the church and mop the floors and play loud worship music. But what that actually looked like was me waking up at 2 a.m. and telling Bailey, like, I'm going to go over to the church. <laughs> right. So uh, kind of where I said earlier, like everyone grieves a little bit differently. Just, I mean, try to be as supportive as you can, even if you don't understand. And I came at it from the point where like I wanted to, do things and be around people, but not necessarily be around people and just talk about what had happened. I kind of just wanted, I want to say things to be normal, but I wasn't trying to pretend things were normal either. It was just like, can I, you know, I'm going through this grief. How can I match it with some amount of joy more or less? Right. And just to the extent that you can be that for someone, I think that someone, like some are going to take more opportunity to, uh, like have them make a little cocoon for themselves and shut off. I still think there's a way to like bring those people joy. Uh, and I think it's so different for everyone. It's hard to say like, here's what exactly what you should do. But I think that there are just ways that, you know, if you know someone close enough, you know how you can bring them joy one way or another. And maybe they don't, you know, if it's dropping off a bag of coffee at their front door, maybe they don't get it when they first open their door, but like a week later, they'll be like, that was cool. Right. And just knowing that, uh, you know, these things, they like that person is gone forever. Right. So like if you know someone that lost their best friend and, you know, then you find yourself in a conversation with that person down the road and topic of what you did with your best friends in college comes up, not saying like avoid it, but just like, you know, be aware. Like, you know, are you touching on a nerve that maybe like they're not so comfortable with or things like that? Or like, I, cause the, you know, I do get surprised like where memories of my mom pop up. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's not anyone's fault if they say something that just like reminds me, like that's fun. It's not, you know, no one's trying to do that. And it's not necessarily even a bad thing. I'm thinking about my mom. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just, uh, it's just like an extra wrinkle in life that, especially if it's not something that you've had to deal with yourself. Like, I don't know that there's a great way of like understanding it. And I think it has everything to do with the relationship that that person had with that other person too. Right. Like my mom passing away is a different set of emotions for me. I'm sure than had it been my dad, like I, some, some part of it would be different and my story would look a little different. Um, but what was huge to me and that I hope I would encourage anyone else with was that no one necessarily tried to tell me that I was wrong in how I was approaching anything. I don't believe I was showing any sort of like destructive behavior. I think there's a, maybe a different answer to this question if someone's showing like destructive behavior. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's just patience and patience and as much love as you can give. Cause you know, there was someone that they loved that there's like a hole where that person was now. And 
it will get filled with something, right? I don't, mm-hmm. I don't have like, you know, I don't have my mom exactly being around anymore, but I have the, these roles of mother in my life from, uh, you know, at my wedding, my first dance was with my aunt and, uh, my, one of my best friends, moms who kind of became like a second mom to me, right? Like all these holes get filled by something. And if nothing else, just try to be there for your friend or your loved one to help fill that hole in the best way possible. So. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> Good answer. Kevin, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Uh, and for, oh man, I think, Part of people's, a lot of times, their uh, hesitation to share their testimony is the revisiting of pain. Yeah. Uh, and so thank you for willingly going back to those moments to speak about them. Uh, because there is somebody out there who will resonate fully. Sure. Uh, and so uh, if that's you or if you know somebody um no one testimony is the same or or no two testimonies are the same uh i should say and uh, i I like to think of like testimonies as actual weapons so like mine might be a broadsword kevin's is a bow uh yours is a shoot i actually think mine's a pocket knife because i i I like the idea of it being multiple applications and what's, what's the spiky ball on the end of the chain oh gosh i have no clue what is that that's what mine is i the, don't know it's spiky ball at the end of a chain is what <laughs> so if you need if you know somebody who who could use a spiky ball at the end of a chain share this with them like that's that is what we are trying to do on this podcast by sitting here is like it's a cliche saying like it's about the one, yeah. but you know who that person is like, uh, man, all these testimonies you might listen to, uh, not right now where this will be the fifth episode. You may have listened to the four of the first four and been like this, none of these really apply to me, but then that fifth one hits, uh, and then also you might have been listening to this and being like, oh, these are great. These are awesome. I'm just talking myself up. I love this podcast. Uh, but I don't have a reason to share it until this moment when I think very clearly of a name that needs to hear Kevin's story. Uh, so I would just ask that uh, that you would be bold in um, sending them a long podcast to listen to that might change the perspective of the way that they're walking and seeing the world. Uh so Kevin, thank you. Yeah. Uh, any any closing thoughts before we we wrap it up? I feel like I've talked a lot. You talk have, and that's the whole point <laughs> of this. Um, so thank you. We will be praying for your sons. Uh, you have Devin Booker, which in itself is a Ooh. blessing. Uh, but you need Chris Paul's old now, and we need some supporting. Well, you have home. What's his name? Uh, I don't know. Uh, he's like three years out. He's he's uh, he's your second best player. Aiden. Aiden. What's his name? De- DeAndre. DeAndre. Um, I'm worried we missed our chance, but they're still a good team. <laughs> well, uh, guys, uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for uh, 
for supporting and for sharing. I would ask that you would just go comment and like and pass it along. Uh, this project is important to me. It's a passion project, uh, and I'm really excited about where it is going and what it's doing. So uh, until next time, uh, I don't know. Until next time. Later. Later. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on this week's episode of the Over a Drink Podcast. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at the Over a Drink Podcast and on Twitter at over underscore a underscore drink. Reach out and send me a message. I'd also like to encourage you to visit our website at theoveradrinkpodcast.com and sign up for our email newsletter. We're working on weaponizing testimonies here on this podcast, and that isn't exclusive to those who are on the podcast. I'd love for you to send me an email at overadrinkpodcast at gmail.com with a written version of your testimony. I'll put it together in a blog format and then we send it out to everybody on that email list. And in an instant, your testimony will become a weapon. You never know what God is teaching you in your story that may affect somebody else's story. Finally, I want to invite you to join me in supporting this project. There will be a link in the episode notes to a platform called Buy Me a Coffee that will allow you to partner financially with the Over a Drink podcast on a monthly or one-time basis to help move the mission forward of reconfiguring societal norms of what a man should be. Keep an eye out for our next episode. Peace. Peace.